Welcome, everyone, to Dining on a Dime. Here is what you're going to hear today. First 15 minutes will be all about mind-blowing facts about Valentine's Day. What do I mean? How about candy hearts? The ones with the uh, conversation hearts? They were originally released as throat lozenges. So those candy hearts that you see all over the place with the messages uh, were originally throat lozenges. Uh, So those types of interesting things are going to be the first 15 minutes. And then in 15 minutes, we are going to interview the actual chef from the Super Bowl. That's right. You heard me. The guy who is feeding Tom Brady and all these superstar athletes during the Super Bowl is on our show in 15 minutes. So we got a lot of great questions for him. And then after we talk to the Super Bowl chef, Nate, uh, we will go into our food contributor, our culinary expert, Gene Bloom. Uh, he will be talking to you about Chinese New Year. Uh, so we got a great show. Let's get started. Uh, Super Bowl chef will be in 15 minutes. Groundhog Day was originally celebrated on February 14th. Uh, let's keep going. Uh There are nearly 10 new candy heart sayings every year. So they put out 10 new sayings on those candy hearts that we just told you were originally released as throat lozenges. Uh, They put out 10 new uh, sayings every year. Valentine's Day cards are second to only Christmas in sales. One billion Valentine's Day cards are sold around the world each year. All right, and if you're noticing uh, something different about today's show, it's because we record in the Philadelphia area. Philadelphia area is jam-packed with snow and ice, Uh, so we are doing this show from my home equipment. So we are are not in our usual professional studio. This show is being recorded on my home podcast equipment, Uh, but the sound should be the same. Okay, let's keep going. In 2010, nearly 40,000 people got together and they did a group kiss in Mexico City. So if you're wondering how many people uh, have had the largest group kiss, uh, it would be in Mexico City in 2010. Almost 40,000 people did a group kiss. Uh, Valentine's Day is a $14.7 billion, uh, yeah, you heard me, billion-dollar business. That's why a lot of people say it's a retail holiday. Uh, Valentine's Day is a $14.7 billion business. Valentine's Day dates all the way back to A.D. 500. So Valentine's Day is not something new. Uh, it is something that has been around since A.D. 500. There is not one particular explanation about the connection between Valentine's Day and love. That is interesting. Uh, Valentine's Day coincided with love somewhere over the years, but there's not one particular incident that uh, caused that. There have been eight different St. Valentines uh, throughout history. So St. Valentine, there have been eight of them throughout history. Um. There are 189 million stems of roses sold on Valentine's Day. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa and Jack Benny were both born on Valentine's Day. So Jack Benny was born on Valentine's Day. Aretha Franklin recorded a big, huge hit, Respect, on Valentine's Day in 1967. Uh, James Polk, who was the first president, photographed in the office, in the in the Oval Office. That happened on Valentine's Day, 1848. How about this? UPS, if you're wondering where your package is. Uh, UPS started on Valentine's Day in 1919. Uh, teachers are the ones that receive the most Valentine's Day cards. I think we know that. Uh, a kiss on Valentine's Day is supposed to bring good luck. A single rose is m- the most popular flower on Valentine's Day. 
How about this? Hold on to your chairs. I want everyone at home to hold on to your chairs. Richard Cadbury, and yes, that name is correct, Cadbury. He is the one that did the first box of chocolates, and that was in the late 1800s. Uh, Shakespeare mentions Valentine's Day in the play Hamlet. In 18th and 19th centuries, British children would go door-to-door singing. This is what they say started uh, Christmas caroling. It was a celebra- It was a thing that British children did back in the 18th and 19th centuries on Valentine's Day. They would go door-to-door singing, uh, and that is what some people say started Christmas caroling. Uh, handmade cards were always popular, but printed cards, the cards that are pre-printed like Hallmark, were not popular in England until the 1800s. Uh, in 1834, the first American Valentine's Day card was printed. Once again, this is being done from my home podcast studio. We record the show in the Philadelphia area. And there is snow and ice like you wouldn't believe. So we are doing this from my home equipment. So if you're, if you're wondering if something is a little bit off, it's because we are forced to be safe and staying home because of the weather. Amherst Pollock has submitted questions for our Super Bowl chef, the chef that is cooking for your favorite NFL players. Uh, he will be on the show in less than 10 minutes. Um, 300,000 letters go through Loveland, Colorado each year just to get the heart stamp. (laughs) There is a town in Texas called Valentine. Valentine's hearts have, oh, here's a cool one. Valentine's hearts, the conversation hearts that we have talked about three different times already. Their shelf life is five years. So if you guys are going to the dollar store and you're buying some Valentine's Day hearts, (laughs) they may have been there a while. Uh, 58 million pounds of chocolate are sold on Valentine's Day. The average man, here's an interesting thing for all you uh, ladies out there. The average man, the average man spends $71 on Valentine's gifts. The average woman spends around 40. <laughs> uh, $681 million are spent on pets on Valentine's Day. Now, think about that. Just the gifts to pets alone uh, makes Valentine's Day a very lucrative retail business. $681 million people spend on their pets on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is the second busiest day in the restaurant industry. That is why I'm giving you these uh, fun facts. Uh, We are a food show. So there might be some of you saying, well, I don't hear much food so far. Uh, We are a food show. And Valentine's Day is actually the second most popular day in the restaurant industry, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, In about five minutes, we will be talking to the Super Bowl chef. Uh, 600 and... It is considered bad luck to sign Valentine's Day card back in Victorian times. So back in Victorian times, they actually considered it to be bad luck if you signed a Valentine's Day card. Uh, 3%, I just told you the exact uh, um, money amount, but 3% of all pet owners give their pets gifts on Valentine's Day, and it's a very big deal to them. They send their pets gifts, or they give their pets gifts. Finland celebrates Friendship Day instead of Valentine's Day. So if you guys are single and you ain't got nothing going on, uh, I would suggest you go to Finland uh, because Finland celebrates Valentine's Day like couples do in the other parts of the world, but they celebrate it, as they gift their friends. Uh, and a lot of, I think that's starting to become a trend in America, too, that it's called Friendship Day, and that is big in Finland. In 1537, King Henry VIII declared February 14th Valentine's Day. 
Physician, here's a cool thing. Physicians in the 1800s would tell their patients to eat chocolate if they had a broken heart. So if somebody came in there depressed from a breakup, the physician would actually prescribe chocolate. <laughs> Which is, you know, who knows? Maybe that's why chocolate is coincide with, with Valentine's Day. Uh, fifth, here's a whopping number. This actually shocked me. 15% of women send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day. <laughs> so 15% of women, that's a high number, send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day. Uh, 50% of all, of all cards, of all Valentine's Day cards, are purchased just six days before Valentine's Day. They actually, some people call Valentine's Day a procrastinator's, uh, you know, a day because a lot of uh, the gift giving and the card purchasing are done in about six days before. 220,000 average wedding pr proposals on Valentine's Day each year. 220,000 is the average number of wedding proposals on Valentine's Day every year. The roots of Valentine's Day are go back to ancient pagan festivals. It became associated with love, and I told you earlier, we don't know exactly when, but sometime during the Middle Ages. Cupid's roots, so that Cupid that you see with the bow and arrow, uh, that is that is uh, goes back to Greek mythology. The first Valentine was sent in the 15th century. Uh, giving flowers on Valentine's Day dates back to the 17th century. Uh, Valentine's Day gift, uh, the Valentine's Day gift that people spend the most on is actually jewelry. I don't think that was a hard one to figure out. Uh, jewelry is the most expensive Valentine's Day gift. Uh, the first heart-shaped box of chocolates. The first heart-shaped box of chocolates uh, was in 1861. Okay, now I know a lot of people are out there saying, man, dude, I tuned in for a food show. And now here's where we get real. Here's We're about to call Chef. He is the chef for the Super Bowl. So if you're sitting there going, wow, what do people eat at the Super Bowl, what did Tom Brady eat before he just uh, <laughs> played his Super Bowl game? What is going on at the Super Bowl? We're about to call Chef Nate. And Chef Nate has catered the Super Bowl for the last, I think, five seasons. And he's a very accomplished chef. Uh, We're going to interview him right now. I'm about to call him. And uh, we will be talking to Chef Nate. I'm about to dial the phone. Here we go. Up. Oh. All right, he's not ready. Uh, let's go back to our facts, and then we'll call the chef back. All right. Uh, giving Valentines is a 600-year tradition. Esther Howland was the first manufacturer of Valentine's. 65%. Here it is. Here he is. Chef Nate. Super Bowl chef. Hey, how are you? Chef, how are you? Welcome to Dining on a Dime. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Oh, we're excited to have you. Let's talk the, let's talk the obvious. Talk about being a caterer for the Super Bowl. What's that like? opportunity and to be where we are is just unbelievable it's it's, it's fun it's scary it's everything under the sun how did it start chef how did you get your roots what talk about your background talk about how did the super bowl gig start and all that my background is i'm not uh, i'm not classically trained i'm uh, i have a passion for what i do i grew up in an italian home with uh, my grandmother cooking all her recipes and learning in the kitchen. My father has a passion for food as well. You know, being in the kitchen with him, I, and uh, just fell into it and flourished with it. I loved it. It's, it's 
I always say this: you can talk talk to people, and they can love you, and they could you know get off with you and have fun. But my thing is, I love to talk through my food. I love to you know talk to people through food. And talk about the. Yeah, let's talk about the diet. What, what is the who talks to you about the dietary needs of the NFL players, etc.? That must be difficult. It is. It is on, on a large scale of things when you're you're feeding you know a few few hundred different people per meal, and then you have to you know cater to those that have dietary restrictions. And it's uh, it's it, it can be frustrating. It can be hard. Um, you know, hundreds of meals, and you get this one who's a uh, who's diabetic or you get this one who's gluten-free or their allergies to uh, uh, different, you know, nuts and different fats and, you know, high proteins and low proteins. It's be very frustrating, especially when you get that in an email, you know, an hour before a, a dinner service or a lunch service. Now, I'll bet you there's a lot of listeners out there saying how that the Super Bowl is the biggest thing, you know, of the year. Uh Talk about your background. I mean, they must—they're hiring the best chef. So let's talk about your background. Where—where where did you cook in? Where do you work now, etc. Okay, so I—I I started um, with our, my brother and I kicked off a little food truck business years back, and uh, it was my third world time to shine. And we—we, uh, we, you know, we we're just creative. Two two guys from Philly who loved food and who just had a passion for the business. Uh, started there. Um, I grew from there. I, I came in contact with a gentleman named by the name of Rafa Galelli, who owns Innovative Catering Concepts. And uh, when we were finished doing that thing, I went with Rocco. And uh, I, I worked for Rocco for about seven years. I left him, and uh, I went through uh, went to work with Salvation Army. I ran two of their kitchens. They were shelter kitchens. Just had a passion for oh, not only food, but for people that were in need. Did that for years, changed our food program from opening cans and dumping into pans to cooking fresh, you know, dealing with people, uh, just, uh, you know, you know, just making a difference in their lives through their, their diet. And then from there, uh, opportunity to look for uh, Donald Trump at the golf course in uh, Blackwood, New Jersey, Trump National Court Golf Course. Uh, did that for two years and uh, came back to Innovative Catering, where I'm currently at, as the executive chef for Rocco Goelli, and that's I had the opportunity to come to the Super Bowl and cook here and, uh, you know, have fun with that. So what is it like getting ready to prepare to cook for the Super Bowl? When does that start? What's the prep like? I mean, the Super Bowl is the biggest thing of the year. Uh, talk about your routine before the Super Bowl. How do you prepare? What What do you do? So going into the Super Bowl, we start planning. So we, uh, we, the Super Bowl was on this past Sunday. We already started planning for next year. Wow. Uh, we, we already, you know, the, the ball set in motion when we finish our last service on Sunday night. We Monday morning get up. We start talking about what we're doing for next year, the changes we have to implement, the menus, you know, different things of such a lot nature. But uh, our hard prep comes in right around November. We start looking towards, the, you know, what we're going to do for January, February. Um, menus are created, order lists are put in. Um, we start dealing with uh, the local vendors of the area which we're going to, and uh, we, we, we visit them. We get on the ground, and so we were in Tampa back in the end of the end of December, or sorry, the beginning of December, and uh, just meet our we're going to meet all of our vendors, putting the booth to the name, setting up. I mean, it's a lot of different avenues of prep. It's not just food. It's you know, you're a field kitchen, so you have to clean, you have water, you have disposal, you have, it's just a whole list of things that you got to do. It's not, you know, just, I wish it was just food, it would be easy. Um, but we start that, we start that a year out in advance. That is amazing. I mean, it's such an honor to have you on the show because you are at the top of the game, my man. I mean, you are chef cooking for the biggest event in America, every year. It's not the second. It's not the third. It's the biggest. So that's got to be an honor. It is. It really is. Sometimes you sit down and you look and you think about it, and it's just mind-blowing to see that, man, I'm here. I'm doing this. It's who we're doing it with. It's it's just, it is an honor. It, uh, it, it's life-changing. It really is. I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, it's the biggest event of the year. 
Okay, we're doing this from my home equipment, but our co-hosts, uh, Amaris Pollock, she's a food photojournalist, and she has questions for you. Uh, I have a question from Amaris Pollock, our co-host. Are the food offerings presented as a buffet, a la carte, or past hors d'oeuvre, or some combination of all of those? That is absolutely incredible. And you're saying that the chefs that cater the Super Bowl are from a catering company in the Philadelphia tri-state area? Yes, we are. Um, we were based out of South, uh, South Philly at 3rd Street. Um, we outgrew that uh, facility and needed something a lot bigger to handle the volume that we were pumping out because it's just the, the things that we do on the broad scale of things is just absurd. The amount of people we see, things that we do. Um, so I'll uh, uh, move to South Jersey, just right over the bridge, not far. We're only about 10 minutes outside the city. And uh, we're in South Jersey. It's called Williamstown, New Jersey. And the catering hall is called uh, the Estate, ran by Innovative Catering and Concepts. It's a hall that seats about 450 people. And we have a massive, a massive kitchen that produces mattress for the hall, but we also have food trucks. We, it's, it's just, I mean, the, the, the production that we have is, is absurd. That is amazing. Now, when the catering happens, is it for the players and select VIPs? So typically we do, uh, we, we say just on Sunday, for instance, um, we had a couple retired players coming in. We had uh, news, uh, ESPN announcers. Uh, color journalists, we have a lot of different people. Like, I, I, I had served dinner to Chris Bergen and Booger McFarland. Um, there's these, all, all these old players, some current players. We get some talent that comes through for certain shows that come for our, our VIP area. And the reason that is is because we produce such a good product that their caterers that they have aren't at the standard of the product that they think. So they come to us and they eat, you know, Food that we're putting out, and they are floored. They don't know what to do. They're like, "Man, we wish we had, we wish we had this catering." You know, we get to do that as well. That is that is mind blowing, because I could only imagine uh, your your dream of becoming a chef. I'm sure you never thought that you would be a part of the you know catering the biggest event in America of the year. That, and our listeners, we are very strong in the state of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So I'm sure a lot of people out there are proud that, you know, their state, sent, uh, state of New, Jer- uh, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey is sending the chefs that catered the Super Bowl. That's got to be an honor. It is. It is a huge honor. And, yeah, like you said from your previous question, my chefs are out of Jersey. They're, you know, these are guys that are... Jersey guys, um, my, my, my select three guys that are with me that are my normal guys are from Jersey. I have a guy who comes out of Philly. Um, I have another two guys out of Philly. So it's just, you know, it's great to have all these different, 
you know, people that come because not only I'm not and I'm not a dictator chef. I'm a chef who I love I love suggestions. I love you know trying different methods. I don't know it all, and you're an idiot if you think you know it all. And so we, uh, I'm always looking for suggestions for my guys. If they want to do a special meal, I make them put their flair on it. I'll design it, but they put the, they put their flair on it and they execute it. I'll tell you what, chef. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, I'll tell you what, I would like to try out the food of the people that cater the biggest event <laughs> in America. How can they get the hold of the food that you uh, you cook? So you can go to our website at innovativecateringconcepts.com. Um, you know, we have a beautiful site. We have, um, we have uh, social media. You can follow us on again on Innovative Catering on our social media account. You'll follow us there. Um, you'll you'll find links for me there. Our all of our business descriptions are on those websites. And uh, and I always say this: we do it all. There's no party too small or too big. I do parties of ten to twelve home parties. I'll do this weekend. I'm doing a party of a baby shower for fifty people. Wow. So it's you know there's nothing too big or too small that we can or cannot do. We need all needs. Any food, any dietary restriction, you know, there's, again, nothing we cannot do. And I'll tell you what, Chef, uh, I'm the type of person, if I'm listening to a radio show like ours, and I see an interview or hear an interview with the chef of the Super Bowl, I mean, I'm definitely trying out that food. You know what I mean? Yo, listen, you got to come try it. I cook very, I'm a very unique cook. Uh, I take pride in what I do. I love what I do. Um, there's nothing that I, uh, that I won't try to do. And uh, it's just, I, I throw a lot of people off with, uh, with what I do. I do a lot of uh, food that's, you know, flavored, uh, you know, with a sweet and savory. I try to check a lot of people in their mind when they eat my food. So they know that they're eating something again. Like I originally said, I speak to my clients to their stomach. And I want everyone and all of our listeners in New Jersey. Let's give these guys a try. I mean, he cooks for the Super Bowl. He's the head guy cooking for the players at the Super Bowl. They are only going to call the best of the best. You know what I mean? There's 50 states. They could have called anybody. They chose Chef Nate. That's got to be awesome. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm very honored to be a part of your show. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a dream come true. Chef, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Uh, we have a huge audience in New Jersey. They're definitely going to come try your food. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much, and I appreciate your time. Have a great day. That was Chef Nate. Now, what makes that so cool is that think about it. Think about all the chefs that the Super Bowl could have chosen. Think about all the chefs that could have been the chef of the Super Bowl, and they chose Chef Nate. So I, I just think that is the coolest thing, and he's right in New Jersey. Our listeners in New Jersey, we have a strong audience in New Jersey. Our listeners in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, suburbs. You want to try out some Super Bowl food? The guy is cooking for the number one event <laughs> in America every year. Uh, definitely look him up. Give him, give him a try. So let's call our food expert, our culinary expert, Gene. Uh, he is going to talk to you about the Chinese New Year. And every year I look forward to the Chinese New Year. It's a wonderful celebration. And uh, Chef Gene is going to tell you about it right now. We're calling him. Here he goes. Chef. Hello, Chef. Welcome to Dining on a Dime. Well, hello, Kevin. How are you? We just talked to Chef Nate, and he blew me away. I mean, the man is cooking for the number one event in America. That is absolutely correct. It's a wonderful event. He's a wonderful chef, and I'm so blessed to call him a friend and a colleague. And 
you know, what a wonderful opportunity for him to come on and give us a little inside information about what it's like to be behind the scenes at the Super Bowl and many other events. I'm sure he did not mention many of the other things that him and I have worked together on, such as the Pope when he was here in Philadelphia, handled everything backstage for that, and Welcome America and Made in America and numerous festivals and concerts all through the United States. And I'll tell you what, let's let's touch on that, Chef. Not only does Chef Nate cook for the number one event, but you and Chef Nate cooked for the Pope. That is absolutely correct. There's a wonderful few days in Philadelphia where the city really transformed and just became a very magical and special place. Uh, it was a great opportunity filled with you know, memories that I will never, ever forget, and Having worked my career for a lot of a lot of people, I've done inaugural balls, and I've worked for a lot of different people through my career, but I think that that probably takes the cake for, you know, all the great things you could do. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, think about that, Gene. That has to be one of the highlights of your entire life. If they could have picked anybody to cook for the Pope. I mean, they only picked the best. They do not pick second best. They pick the best. Well, you know, looking back at it in retrospect, it's, it's very funny that with all the celebrities that took place that, that we had to take care of that those couple days, I think he was probably the easiest of them all. How about that? That's amazing. All right, let's talk about Chinese New Year. People... Tune in specifically for your segment. Go ahead, Gene. I'm just going to let you go. Talk to us uh, about the Chinese New Year. So as we get into talking about Chinese New Year, if you live in a metropolitan center, you're likely to have some version of a Chinatown near you. You know, Here in Philadelphia, we rank in the top five in the United States, just behind San Francisco, New York, Chicago, and Seattle. And in Seattle, there. Chinatown is called the ID District or the International District. So it's a combination of a lot of different cultures blended in. But here in Philadelphia, we have a very special Chinatown. It's mostly Mandarin. Uh, we do have a little bit of Cantonese here in, in the city as well. Um, we have a, a great cultural center. It's a really warm community, and it's about six blocks long and about four blocks wide, so it's a decent size, and it covers, you know, all kinds of, of Chinese food, you can get Cantonese, you can get Mar- uh, Mandarin, you can get Sichuan, you can get Vietnamese there, it's a really special place, but as a food history lover, and a lover of all things food, I especially love Chinatown, Philadelphia, and one of the things I do every year is I plan a 12-course authentic Chinese celebration dinner. Uh, I open it up to friends and anybody who wants to come from the public and learn about Chinese cuisine and Chinese culture. And one of the things we do as part of that is we plan it around the Spring Festival, which is Chinese New Year, also called Spring Festival. And we do a behind-the-scenes tour of Chinatown. And we take you to places that you've probably never been to before. We take you behind the scenes into a Chinese pharmacy or a Chinese medicine store. We take you into a bakery. We give you the ins and outs of a Chinese grocery store. We talk a little bit about the Friendship Gate here in Philadelphia, which is very famous. And then we take you into a restaurant and give you a behind-the-scenes tour before sitting down and doing an authentic 12-course Chinese dinner. And we'll get into a little bit about the food, but a little bit about Chinese New Year. I know everyone, Kevin, you're very into little bits of trivia and things like that. So a couple things about Chinese New Year. It's 16 days long, but in China, they only celebrate seven. That's the official holiday, and a lot of times businesses will actually shut down for those seven days. There is no fixed date. It's much like Easter. It changes every year. It is the biggest by population holiday of the year. Here's one that I always liked, that it's the largest human migration that happens each year as people return home, because returning home for the eve of Chinese New Year is a very important thing. 
It also causes a record number of text messages to be sent every year. So that's kind of the ancient tradition of China beating modern technology. Um, as I said, it's also called the Spring Festival, sometimes referred to as the Lantern Festival, but that's not really correct. And it's the largest fireworks usage in the world. More fireworks are used over the Chinese New Year than any other time during the year. It also affects one quarter of the world's population, which that's a big holiday. So some of the customs and traditions that are really important, the fireworks, and if you've ever been to a Chinatown during a dragon dance or during the Chinese New Year, you'll see the dragon comes up and they ignite, they light a long strand of fireworks that burns all the way to the top as they explode and then down falls a bag of money that the dragon takes and goes on. Well, the fireworks are there to keep away evil spirits. Very important that we get rid of the spirits and we welcome in the New Year spirit-free. And in doing so, the Chinese are also very big on cleaning the house right before the New Year starts. You want to get rid of all the old dirt, all the old baggage, get it out the door, sweep the house, and start new. One of my favorite. I have some friends who are Chinese, and when I go to their house every year around Chinese New Year, you would get these little red envelopes. They're called lucky money envelopes that they tend to give to children. The elderly or employers will give them to their employees, and then they'll also give them to friends who are non-Chinese, and they put money in them. What I always liked is while the kids were getting $5 bills, because I was the American, they always wanted to make a good impression, so they would throw 20s and 50s in mine. <laughs> it was a wonderful thing. A lot of red decorations. Red is an auspicious color, so it depicts prosperity. So we really, you know, lots of red decorations, lots of red, red decor floating around. And then we talk about the family celebration. The family is expected home on Chinese New Year, the eve of Chinese New Year. So the eve would be this Thursday coming up, the 11th. Chinese New Year officially begins on the 12th, but the eve is on the 11th. And this is where food comes in really big. So, if you're not aware, this coming year, beginning Friday, becomes the year of the ox. There are 12 signs in the astrological zodiac for uh, the Chinese, and the ox is a very important sign because it has ties to agriculture. It has ties to hard work, earnest work, being honest. It's the second position in the Chinese zodiac, so it's a very important position. This year actually is the metal ox. There are also five, there are different signs. There's the earth sign, the metal sign, the water sign, the wood sign, and the fire sign. This happens to be the metal ox. I was born the year of the metal ox. And some of my other wonderful people, Barack Obama was born as a metal ox. Um, and some of the other oxes. Karen Knightley, George Clooney, Charlie Chaplin, Vincent Van Gogh, Jack Nicholson, Meryl Streep, all like me, honest, hardworking people, you know the ox. And you can go on and on. They have lucky colors, which for me is white, yellow, and green. They're my ox colors. I should stay away from blue. And I have lucky numbers of one and four, any combination of that. So, you know, when I was 14 and 41, it was good years. But very important is the sense of family to any Chinese New Year celebration. So on New Year's Eve, there are traditional foods that are served. One is fish. There should be fish represents prosperity because there's large numbers in schools, and it also represents surplus. Chinese dumplings, they represent great wealth, so you'll see a lot of them. A glutinous rice cake because it's higher income or higher position. Spring rolls are another sign of wealth. And spring rolls actually get their name because they're eaten during the spring festival, which is Chinese New Year. Sweet rice balls, their family togetherness. And then what they call good fortune fruits. So tangerines, oranges, kumquats on occasion. They are good fortune fruits. They represent fullness and wealth. And last but not least, things like longevity noodles. So at a Chinese table, at a Chinese banquet, if you're ever given noodles, you 
normally they don't have a knife at the table anyway, but if you did, don't cut them because in cutting them, you cut short your happiness and your longevity. Really bad thing, especially at a birthday celebration. You never want to cut noodles at a birthday celebration. But some of these customs, really important that you understand too when how the customs are used at the table. When I do the 12-course banquet every year, I do a presentation for each course as it comes out. It's done family style. It goes in the center of the table. But how the food is served and what it represents. So when the fish goes down, the fish should always have its head pointed towards the most VIP or the eldest at the table, the person that's being honored. The head should face that. And then there's a tradition that you should eat the fish from head to tail so that you get a completeness. And the person who has the tail facing them and the head facing them should have a toast so that we can complete the circle or complete the family in that particular situation. It's a very cool thing. But more importantly to that, on Chinese New Year, when fish is served on New Year's Eve, it should not be entirely consumed. You should leave the head and the tail as part of the next day's food because you want to start the year with a good head, a good a good finish, a good start, and you want to have that surplus. So you want to start the year with a surplus and you want to end it with a surplus. So that's what that representation is. And it's kind of a really cool thing in knowing all this. And it took me a long time of attending many, many Chinese events. I have a very close friend, Joseph Kuhn, who's a very famous Asian oh, yeah. chef. Well, Joe and I have been friends for many, many years, and we spend a lot of time together. So it's really a great opportunity to learn a lot from him. So... You know, some of the things, and there's toasts to go with all the food. So when you serve the fish course, they'll often say in Chinese, may you always have more than you need. So that's that, you know, reflection on surplus and abundance. So the dumplings, dumplings, Chinese dumplings go back about 1,800 years. They actually originated in North China. But if you think about a Chinese dumpling, they kind of look like a silver ingot. So they represent wealth and silver wealth itself. So when you serve the Chinese dumplings, you often toast with, you know, bringing in the wealth and treasure is what the Chinese slogan will go with that. Spring rolls, because they're fried, they pick on a nice golden color. And when they come down, they have that little long cylindrical view and they go down on the table and that ref and that reflects the um, wealth of gold you know a ton of gold because they look like gold so the glutinous rice cakes you know we talked about that a little bit but that has to do with getting higher year after year by year so growing in merit growing in position growing in wealth the sweet rice balls Often just that's a happy family reunion. There's a togetherness with that. And the longevity noodles we talked about, the long life and happiness that goes with that. And obviously we often mention the round golden tangerines and oranges. That more than anything, tangerines and oranges, the words in Chinese sound very prosperous or very um, significant. So the sounds of the words often do that. Some of the other things that you'll see is whole roast meats. Each meat has a different meaning. You know, chicken represents wealth, but it also represents a completeness. You want to eat from the head to the foot. That's why you often see chicken feet at meals. And it's not a very popular thing to decline them. My children love chicken feet. I actually... Uh, served them yearly and one of my daughters got a sent home a, a note many years ago from school asking if we could not bring chicken feet to school after Chinese New Year because it was it was freaking out the other students but you know and then things like long beans and greens which represent longevity and luck okay a couple other things that are very relevant is what you serve as beverages 
Seven Up is a very big thing in the Chinese culture because it sounds like seven happiness when it's pronounced in Chinese. So you'll see that a lot. So when we get into talking about really the celebration, like I do 12 course celebrations, the number of courses is very relevant. A wedding is eight courses plus dessert. There's usually nine courses plus dessert. The ninth course being those long life noodles we talked about. Okay. So if I go back and I talk about my, my dinner last year, my last Chinese dinner that I hosted, and I'm hoping to have one this year as soon as Philadelphia eases up some of our restrictions, my first course started off with an assorted meat and cold cut platter, and it had roast pork. Now, roast pork is very important at a wedding because pork, roast pork especially, represents virginity. A groom, when he gets engaged, actually presents the pig to the bride's family, and then some of that is reserved and served as part of the wedding, and then roast pork representing virginity. We did a roast pork. It's almost a, it's a cold meat platter, and it also has a lot of pickled jellyfish in, in the center of it. It's absolutely fabulous, but it's a textural thing to a lot of people, so really it takes a little bit getting used to. My second course was an absolutely wonderful mixed seafood in a bird's nest. If you're not familiar with a bird's nest, it is just fried noodles in the shape of a bird's nest, and then they pile in all the seafood in the center of it. Our third course was a shark fin soup that represents wealth. Shark fin soup is a very delicate soup to prepare. Shark fin is not an easy product to come by, so the shark fin soup represents wealth. Love shark fin soup. It's a nice, it's, it's gelatinous, it's very rich, it's just an absolutely fabulous dish. We did a fried crispy chicken with garlic. And then we did lobsters that were served with a little bit of minced pork. So the significance of those two things, lobster means dragon shrimp, and dragon represents a male role. Chicken feet is what's called the phoenix. Chicken is a phoenix. That represents the female. And serving both of them really completes the harmony and union. So at a wedding, that would be a significant thing to do. We then went on and did a whole steamed fish. Obviously, as we talked about, plentiful and abundance. That was a very relevant thing there. It was very important that I singled out who at the table. And we do normally do about 10, 11 tables at this luncheon. I I usually do tables of 10, and it's done family style. So last year, I think we had 110 people join us for this. So uh, it was really wonderful. So I said, pick up. One person, yeah, you open it up to the public, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very wonderful, I think last year it was $39 a person for 12 courses. Wow. Thanks. Talk about dining on a dime. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a wonderful thing, so wow. it's a really great buy. So after we did the steamed straight bass, we did a Peking duck, which is totally a wonderful celebration dish, and it represents joy and celebration. We then went into a sautéed vegetables with garlic. Then we did a dried shrimp fried rice. Fried rice represents a large family, number of children, um, it, it just, you know, abundance of family and friends. So it's a really nice thing there. We did a long life noodles, which represents long life and much happiness. And then we did some peach sweet buns, which... A sweet, long life is the representation there. And we finish with some fresh fruit and fortune cookies. When you do things like a duck or a chicken or a lobster or a fish, you should always serve it. You can cut it up, but every bit of it should be served. So the feet, the beak, the head, everything should be served because that symbolizes that completeness that's so important in a Chinese family. So, that being said, I wish want to wish everybody a very happy Chinese New Year. In Mandarin, they would say Gonghui Fakoi, which is congrats or wishing uh, joy and prosperity. I speak a little bit more Cantonese, so it's Gonghui Fakoi. Uh, very happy New Year, a very happy Year of the Ox, and may we all come through this with great wealth, hard work, 
and earnest rewards. Okay, Chef. Yeah, Chef, listen, uh, you are a creme de la creme, Chef. They don't pick anybody to cook for the Pope. You're one of the tops in the business. If I'm a home cook and I want to celebrate the Chinese New Year, is there something simple, you know, something that I can make? If I'm not, you know, I'm not a skilled cook, but I want to celebrate and I want to honor the Chinese New Year, is there anything that you can think of that's real simple to do? So, very simply, if you can cook pasta, you can cook lo mein or you can cook any of the Asian noodles. Asian noodles, as long as you're not going to cut them and serve them whole, so take a little seafood or take a little chicken, do a very simple stir-fry. You can even buy a store-bought sauce, a teriyaki or something like that, a lot of fresh garlic, a nice abundance of fresh vegetables, toss it in a pan. It's an absolutely wonderful thing. If you're comfortable with doing a nice, you know, broiled whole fish, that is another thing that's really good to do something like that. Um, to get some crabs and steam up the crabs, but serve, you know, you can separate the claws and everything, but serve it all together is a really wonderful way to do that. If you do that, you know, in a little bit of plum sauce or in a little bit of teriyaki sauce, it's a wonderful flavor to go with that, or you could add some garlic to that to do it also. See, that's what that's what I love about our show is we have experts like you because – if I'm not the highest skilled chef, you just told me two things I can do uh, to still honor the Chinese New Year. That's great. Let's talk about you, chef. You're a culinary educator. You're a culinary historian. Tell the folks about you. Well, uh, you said it exactly. I am a chef by trade. Um, I do large event management today is one of the things I do. I also do a lot of consulting and teaching. I do food tours. My role in my life right now is to educate you about the many things and the many gifts that were given to me by chefs before me. So I do tours of Chinatown. I do tours of the Italian market. I do tours of different neighborhood markets. Um, I do private cooking lessons, you know, and then I do a lot of consulting on large events and I work on very large events. So I, you know, very diverse and, you know, everything from teaching people about simple food service sanitation and, you know, helping people at the restaurants to, you know, going in and, and teaching, you know, a group of people the ins and outs of baking or pastry or cooking, any of that falls under my realm. You can always reach me at um, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. That's ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. Um, or you can follow me on social media. Um, I'm listed as ibfoodie on Facebook and also on Instagram. And what's coming down the road for us? Because you're teaching us. You just did a brilliant uh, lesson about soul food. That show did f- tremendous. Uh, what do you have next on the agenda? So next on the agenda, we're going to talk um, because, as you know, next week going in, we're coming into the Lenten period, but we're going to be just out of Mardi Gras and the Mardi Gras celebration. We're going to talk a little bit about the foods of NOLA and about the foods of Louisiana and celebrations that go along with Mardi Gras and some of the wonderful foods that came out of New Orleans and just the Bayou country and the difference really between Cajun and Creole and how they both came about. All right, Chef. It was an honor to talk to you again, and we can't wait for the NOLA episode. I look forward to talking to everyone again and passing on a little bit of the wonderful gifts that was given to me. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to Kevin through the show or to me directly at ibfoodie 2 at yahoo.com. If you have something you'd like to see on the agenda to be discussed, please send it out. I will gladly get back, and we can incorporate it somewhere down the line. Thank you, Chef. We'll talk to you next time. Wonderful New Year, everyone. Go glory for joy. Wow, what a show today. Think about it. There's two big events that go on, the Super Bowl, and then the Pope came to Philly, and these guys cooked for both. 
uh, look them up. Hire them. Uh, you know, do do what you can to get their services. Uh, we're going to end the show now, but I want to just give a couple of interesting stats about the restaurant industry. Uh, the restaurant industry, Valentine's Day is number two as the most popular day for the restaurants. Uh, so I just want to give some stats that kind of give you an idea. Uh, you know, for instance, 46% of men would prefer a restaurant gift card as a Valentine's Day gift. 67% of diners prefer the regular menu over the Valentine's Day price fix menu. So we have a lot of tons of uh, restaurant owners that listen to our show. Listen to that stat. 67%, almost 7 out of 10 people that go that were surveyed that went to a restaurant would prefer uh, that they have the regular restaurant menu instead of the Valentine's Day menu. I think that's interesting. Uh, 34% of diners pick restaurants based upon reviews. 77% of all people in the United States are on social media. That's why I keep telling you guys it's very important to have some kind of social media presence. Although some of the restaurants we have interviewed over the years are are succeeding uh, well just upon word of mouth. Uh, all right. Uh, 51%. Now, if you're a restaurant owner out there and you're listening to the show, we have tons of you. Uh, keep in mind that more than half of the country plans to go to a restaurant on Valentine's Day. I don't know what's going on with the COVID, but on a regular year, more than half of the people plan to go out to eat on Valentine's Day. Only 13% pick restaurants with special Valentine's Day menus. I told you. Of the people they surveyed, 67% would rather use the regular menu than the Valentine's Day menu. Uh, 86% of the millennials will try a new restaurant after seeing some type of food-related content online. 77% of chefs say that cannabis-infused drinks are the newest trends. Who knew? So cannabis-infused drinks are the new trends. Uh, mocktails and alcohol-free drinks are also trending. Uh, 90%, this is interesting too, 90% of people that go out to eat research a restaurant online before they order. So that means 9 out of 10 people are looking for you on the web, on the Google, before they go to your restaurant. 57% of diners go to a restaurant website before going out to eat. Uh, so if you can do it, keep in mind that Wix, W-I-X dot com, gives you a free website. So if you're a restaurant owner out there and you want to get some kind of online present, go to WIX.com. They're not sponsoring the show, trust me, but I use it for uh, some of my projects, and they can build. you can build your own free website, and they don't charge anything. The only thing is you have to use .wixsite.com in your uh, web address. Uh, 34% of the people who order from Grubhub, DoorDash, etc. pay $50 on average. 34%, that's a lot. Uh, 60% of people order takeout or delivery once a week. So I think we gave you a fabulous show today. I think we're going to end it, even though I have like 100 more of these. I want to thank everyone for listening. Keep in mind, we're snowed. There's a lot of snow and ice out there. So this is being done from my home equipment. So give us a break. <laughs> uh, everything today was recorded with my home equipment. Uh, we're not in our professional studios. Most of the shows you listen to are done from a professional studio today because of the weather. We had to do the, uh, the show from home. I want to thank Chef Nate, who is cooking at the biggest event of the year, bar none. So Chef Nate is the Super Bowl chef. Uh, we heard from him today. We want to thank him for being on the show and also our contributor, Chef Gene. Uh, he told you what a great segment that was about Chinese New Year. Uh, keep in mind that both Chef Nate and Chef Gene cooked for the Pope. 
I mean, think about it. the when the Pope comes to a, a city, it's the biggest event. They remember it for years upon years to come. And both chefs that were on the show today have cooked for the Pope. I mean, think about that. Okay, everyone, we want to thank you for listening. Dining on a Dime, the number one on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to our co-hosts. There's nothing they could do. We can't get to the studio. Uh, M. Maritea, Matt Maritea, a, a food photojournalist Amherst Pollock. She was nice enough to give us questions for the Super Bowl chef. Uh, we're hoping that uh, we can all get back in studio next week. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for listening, and we will definitely uh, talk to you next week, whether it's from my home equipment or not. We don't know. <laughs> Have a great week.